0: Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, and we'll, uh, verses 16 through 33 as we continue with the sermon that we started on last week on the wish list that Christ has for His birthday. Now, I'm not a Santa Claus person, but that's all you hear at this time of year, so I remember my dad he he would, we was little, I mean, I remember when we was very little, he's saying, hey, don't say this Santa Claus stuff. He says, I'm paying for it. Nobody else is getting credit for it. <laughs> and, and if you know my dad, that was true. Okay. And, and so, uh, he said that, but you know, there are four stages of man. Man is, comes in this world, in his early life, he believes in uh, Santa Claus, and then later, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus, then still later, the third uh, stage, he is Santa Claus, and in the fourth stage, he looks like Santa Claus, okay, so that happens so often, all right, some ladies are looking at their husbands right now, okay, okay, uh, let's get started here, Luke chapter 14, and verse 16, then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I, I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you tending to build a tower, sitteth setteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Less happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or well, what king going to make war against another king, setteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage in desirous conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Let me just quickly insert. Speaking of cannot be my disciple is not speaking of salvation. It's speaking of a person that is saved. Okay, so Christ gave this to saved people so I trust you'll pay close attention to that today father I ask you Lord that just to right off the bat rebuke the devil that he in no way would hinder anyone from what you have for them today Lord I pray that the Holy Ghost would be the power in my voice that holds the attention but also takes that message home to the heart if that doesn't happen, this is wasted time. We want to preach the word as it is to men as they are, but we want men's lives to be changed. So, Father, work in this. Accomplish your will through it. If there is one among us that does not know that if they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come and receive Christ as their Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, in the first part of this sermon last Sunday, uh, we mentioned that, God wants, uh, you know, a financial gift is, is something that you give. For an example, it's Jesus' birthday. And so we said that the most expensive gift that you give at Christmas time ought to be to the Lord and His work. And we've been doing in our bulletins some suggestions of things that you could do. Uh, sometimes you might uh, send it to a missionary, and, and, and that's fine too. But you're doing it for the Lord. It's, it's His ministry, His work, and it's His birthday. And so I think that's a good thing for uh, each person to think about and do. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. He says, ye tithe. He says, they do tithe of mint and nice and coming. And then he says, Those, these ought ye to have done. He says, you ought to do that. But then he says, you have omitted the weightier matters, that of judgment, of, of faith, of mercy. You, you've omitted that. And so, God desires, more than anything, a spiritual gift from us. A gift, when it's given, is forever. It's not just for a day. It is forever. Uh, Once given, you don't take it back. Well, I'm so glad for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad He doesn't take His gift back. And so, as we look today, having looked last week at dedication, one must dedicate his life to the Lord to say, okay, Lord, I'm yours, I'm dedicating, I'm making that commitment, my life is yours, use it as you would please. That's the first step. Now, the second gift I think that the Lord would like to have that we want to look at today is that of discipleship. He not only wants you to dedicate yourself to him, but to be dedicated and to fulfill that. You then need to become a disciple of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you say, what in the world do we mean by the word discipleship? I I looked this up just in the Greek lexicon from that day of the Greek as how it would be defined in that day. And it says, more than a mere pupil or learner. It means an adherent who accepts the instruction given to him and makes it his rule of conduct. So, it's knowing what God instructs. Just say, okay, that's how my life is going to be governed. It's going to be his way, not my way. And doesn't Isaiah 9, 6 say, the government shall be upon his shoulders? And so we let him govern our lives. Now, because of that, you ask, how does he govern us? Well, his Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came for us to pay our penalty for sin. If we receive him, then God dwells within us. So, what a, what, a, what a God that we have. What a great God that we have. But, the Holy Ghost is there to lead us. However, He leads through His Word. Now, I'm going to give you a, quite a few scriptures here in just a moment. I'll call out the reference and then I'll read them and just say a word or two about them, but I'm saying that now because you're probably not going to have time to do that number, okay? So if you want to write down the reference, that'll be fine. The first reference is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly. Okay, rightly. That's a problem today that's not happening rightly. Rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of God that is, it's his word. So it's the word of truth because there's no error in it. And so again, when you think of that, you also have to think of 2 Peter. In chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it tells us that the, no scripture is a private interpretation. You say, what does that mean? That means that no verse in the Bible contradicts any other verse. God is the author of this book. And because he is, there's no contradictions. You say, well, I found one. There's one that says something over here and something else over here. No, you didn't find a contradiction. You found a place that you don't understand. You see, there are no contradictions in the word of God because God says so. And I'm not about to call him a liar. (laughs) Okay. Now, the next verse then would be 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Where it says all Scripture is given by inspiration—that is, God breathed. That's what the word inspiration there means. It's God breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. You get established in doctrine and then reproof, because you're reproving according to doctrine. Okay, so for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. As you learn doctrine, you see things that need to be corrected. For instruction in righteousness. You get doctrine, then you know how you're to serve the Lord. That instruction is there. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So he tells us to get in the Word and stick with it. All right? And that's what we do. Now, the rest of these verses are going to be from Psalms and chapter 119, 119th Psalm. Every one of these verses are going to come out of that. The first one is verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? Okay, the word of God gives us instruction. So you take heed to the word of God. The one way that you're going to protect your way, a young man, a young man starting out that does not have experience. And sometimes I'll tell the the kids in school this, I'll say, okay, okay. By Bible standards, you're actually an adult. And your age, a lot of these teenagers, they were married in the Bible days. You're a man by that thing, but a lot of times when people are talking about manhood, they're talking about experience. They're talking about all that comes in with that experience. Oh, say, and so the maturity that comes. Well, when you start out, you don't have that. And I think every one of us that are just uh, a shade over 20 can say that, all right. Uh, but... What happens is we make a lot of mistakes, and we make them throughout life. But if we take heed according to His Word, then we can avoid a whole lot of those mistakes and avoid a whole lot of regrets. Okay? Now, moving along. Thy Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's hard to have dirty, filthy thoughts and be thinking on John 3, 16, isn't it? Keep God's word in your heart when you're tempted. When things come up to tempt you, think on the word of God. Great, you know there there are men and women that have problems on the internet with pornography. Think on the word of God. It can keep you from sin. Thy word have I hid in mine hearts. uh, Verse. uh, Uh, 11 says in my heart that I might not sin against thee in verse 24 thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors people pay hundreds of dollars to counselors today yet the Lord is called counselor in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 he is the counselor, but his word is filled with counsel, and all those things in his word are our counselors. Now, you can reject that and go to a man, pay hundreds of dollars, and still be in the same condition. Or you can go to the word of God who heals, who brings the way of life. You just have to trust to do what he says to do. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Psalms 119 and verse 33, teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. That is your dedication. Okay. But then it's also discipleship because you're going to do it. You're saying, teach it to me, dedication, I'll do it. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me, that is, it's given me life. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. All of those talking about affliction. Sometimes God allows it into your life. Sometimes that's what it takes to drive us to the word of God, to find direction, to get things corrected, and also just to get to know him in his person. And it's a shame that sometimes that's how he has to get our attention. Verse 72. Thy law, the the law of thy my mouth of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. That's how important the word of God should be to us. Now, you see it all the time. It it might be the publisher's clearing house and and uh, you enter that thing, you know and 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 you just oh boy, I hope I win that whatever it is ten million dollars or however much money it is uh a, a month for the rest of your life and and you enter it and you enter it and you enter it, but if they called you up and said you 've won you 've got to come up to New York and receive it You say, well if I got to go that far i 'm not going. I don't think that anybody would do that. I think anybody would go to get that. Well, I think that myself, I ought to have that same attitude about the word of God. Be willing to spend that time in it and to hear it and to know it and allow it to change my life and make it for what it ought to be for God's glory. He says in verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That speaks again of the fact that Uh, All doctrine, everything is already set with God. His truth doesn't change. It doesn't change for the culture. It doesn't change for the age. His truth is from everlasting to everlasting. Why? Because thou art God from everlasting to everlasting. And so his truth lasts forever. Okay, then um, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. If you don't think on it, you can't do anything about it. Okay, it, sometimes it goes right in one ear and out the other, so to speak. So meditate on it. Verse 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, as you meditate on it in your heart, it's of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Change the words of your mouth. Thy word, verse 105, is a lamp unto my feet. It shows me myself and a lamp unto my pathway. It shows me the direction I ought to go. We see verse 112. I have inclined thine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. No matter how, what happens to me in life, I'm going to stick with the word of God is what this uh, psalmist is saying. And that's for all of us to learn. That is discipleship. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, verse 128 says, and I hate every false way. Everything God says is right. If you say, you know, I think God wants me to do such and such a thing, but you look in the word of God, you see that there's something against that. The devil's trying to deceive you. When there's a contradiction between a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, or anything that comes in your mind in the Word of God, the Word of God is always right. Always, 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 it's always right. And finally, verse 133, Order my steps in thy word, and let not iniquity have dominion over me. That's discipleship. Governing the way I live because I'm following the Word of God. Now, uh, when we get into that, then the rest of our lives should be a life that is being a disciple led by the Holy Ghost of God through the Word of God. And our life can be more spiritually productive whether religious men see it or not. It goes according to God's Word. Now, how many of you have ever at Christmas time received a gift and it's given in order? Okay, you get got to have, open this gift first before you can open the next gift. Maybe somebody gets a car key. And then they take them outside and says, there's the car. Maybe there's a little carrying case. and they open it up and then there's tickets for a great vacation somewhere. I usually got hedge clippers and I was shown where the hedges were. Okay. Uh, just lost something in there for some reason or another. But you see what you're giving here spiritually is a gift of yourself. A spiritual gift. Discipleship. Allowing the Spirit of God to disciple you through the study of the Word of God. You know, it's one thing to have the key and even to have the car but not to ride in the car when you have the key in the car and never use. It's kind of dumb. It's one thing to be saved and know that you have eternity secure. But it's kind of dumb to not allow Christ to help you to grow and lay up treasure in heaven. And that can only happen as we are obedient. We are disciples of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This causes them to adhere to the instruction of Scripture. Even if other people are against it, when your discipleship, as you obey the Word of God and you start to serve the Lord, and verse 26 said, even family may be against you. And when he said, uh, if you hate your, your mother, your father, your wife, your son, your daughter, your parents, whatever, he says, if you don't put me first, you can't be my disciple. As a saved person, you've saved, but you're not a disciple of the Lord until you're willing to put him even ahead of them. It can be a baseball game. Maybe you have a uh, a child that's on a little league baseball team, maybe on a football team or something like that, and we say, "Uh, well, you know, I know the game's on Sunday, but we made a commitment. Did you ever make a commitment to Christ? Then you're deciding who's first. Should you go to the game, or should you go to where the Lord told you to go? See, now you're making a decision. We can say God first, then family, and then your job. It sounds so wonderful until it's actually put into practice. And many times, family will disagree with you and and, and be upset with you and, and, and just not want to have anything to do with you. But you see... It's not hating in the matter of hating. It's hating in the matter of not putting them before the Lord. And if they talk about your lack of love, just remember, if they had a love, they should be able to really be happy that you're putting Christ first. But when people are wrong, they like to accuse and they like to attack. You cannot be a dedicated Christian without obedience to the Word of God. And you cannot be a disciple of the Lord if you're not going to get into the Word of God. So this gift of discipleship that you want to give to the Lord has a twofold thing that you wrap yourself in. The first thing is a solemn promise to God that you're going to read the Bible through this year. Now we've got Bible reading schedules out there. I've got them there because we arranged them so that there's... Four different books of the Bible on average that you're reading through each day take you about 30 minutes at the most, in most cases. Some do it in about 10 minutes, some do it in about 40 minutes. But I'm just saying, you've got uh, those, those books and they show the oneness of the Word of God. That's why we divided it up the way we did so you could see the oneness of the Word of God. And get into it. Secondly, don't just read it, but meditate in it. You know, you can be driving down the road and not meditating in anything but a ball game or something else. Uh, I mean, just kind of a blank mind. And I've driven behind some of you, and I know that's true. <laughs> um, but you've you got time for your mind to wander. You've got time to meditate on what you've read that day. Think of that. And he said, oh, pastor, you know, that's a lot of effort. Yeah. But I tell you what, your effort will not be near the blessing that God gives as a result. What it does for your life is so much more. Read it with a decision. Okay. I'm going to meditate on it. And if it tells me to quit doing something, I'm going to quit. If it says uh, start doing something, I'm going to start. I am going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Get the dedication is the key. You dedicate yourself to them. Then the next gift is discipleship. You need to study to grow in the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you go out to Christmas shopping, some of you men. You get to a point where you finally, after about 45 years, know your wife well enough to know that she will not like that. Or she would like this. And so you go around the yard sales to see if you can find something like you saw in the store. Um, But really what happens is this. Without talking to her, you have figured out what to get her. Because... You know her. Get to know Christ so that when something is thrown up at you, maybe you don't know if it's right or wrong, but if you know his person, you can usually know that it's right or wrong. He is a holy God. Get to know him. What a gift that you could give to him. I, I can't think of a better gift than that. And, and, and studied to grow in knowledge and the guidance and, and the worship of the Lord. If you get to know the word more, you'll want to worship him more. There's so much more for which to worship him that we just simply miss. The disciple of God worships God. And that leads me to the last gift. The gift of duty. In verses 16 through 24, we have the story about the great supper. And the master sends out his servant to go out and, and invite these people to the supper. The first one, he asked him to come, and he says, well, man, I, I can't do that. I, I just bought some property, and I've got to go out and check it out. He had to tell the second one, man, I just bought some oxen. Man, that, that's my livelihood, and so I've got to go check out the oxen. I can't imagine buying property or animals without going to check them first before you bought them. And the third one says, I've married a wife. I can't come. We all can understand that. Um, But uh, he says, I can't come. And what I find is interesting. He next tells that servant, he's angry. He says, all right, go out there. And 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 tell others, uh, get them involved. He says so. Uh, he says, go out, go out, go quickly. Go to the streets. Go to the lanes of the city. Get the poor. Get the maimed. Get the halt. Get the blind. Go and for them and get them. Now, I, what I find is interesting about that is this. They go out, and there's still room. And then he says, okay, then go into the highways and hedges. And even go out further. The halt, the blind, the the poor, and so forth, and then even worse than that, is what he's saying. Sometimes uh, you're talking to the wrong person if you're talking to me to say, you know... I don't like the idea we bring in some of the bus kids because they don't know how to behave in church and they don't know how to do this and do that. Uh, You'd let them go to hell? Uh, We don't want that person coming here because you know how they are. No, we're to go out. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 says this, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. What what is unusual about this this thing that we're looking at right now? Never, never, never does does he rebuke the servant. Well, if you had just been more personable, if you really knew how to do it right, you would have had more coming. No, he's supposed to just go out and try to bring them in. The Lord says, they that turn many to righteousness. That's what we do. We, we, we share with them the gospel. We turn them to Jesus Christ, but we can't make them receive Christ. Okay? That's up to them. Ours is to turn them that way. Then they get it or they reject it. And that's not up to you. That is up to them to make the decision one way or the other. But those that were bidden, they won't eat of my supper. You see, the Lord has two suppers. He's got the marriage feast of the lamb. Those first ones were asked to come, and they found that I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. So he goes out and gets more. And sends out for more to the house of the Lord's. Do you realize that the Bible, even the New Testament, calls the local meeting place the house of? Of God, the house of the Lord. And guess what? He wants those who are His people to go out and bring them in that His house may be filled. I wonder why that is missed so often. Look, they may come in with purple hair, tattoos everywhere, metal all in their face. Looks like they fell in a, <laughs> a tackle box, you know, sometimes when they come in. It's everywhere. But he died that they might have life and have it more abundantly as well. And so Jesus said that the harlots and the publicans and so forth go into the kingdom of God before you self-righteous, pharisaical people do. Look, nothing is too hard for God. We look at some folks, we say, man, I don't know. Look, I didn't deserve salvation. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And I'm just as bad as anybody's ever been in this world. Praise the Lord. He loved me enough to save my soul. The birth of uh, of Christ brought God to man, Emmanuel. But it's the cross that brings men to God. And that is our duty to be sharing that. That's the great gift that we can give of of duty. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Duty demands it. That's our responsibility. Give him the gift this year. That is given for the rest of your life. It's not a gift you take back. Give him. Give it to him, that Dedication. Follow that with discipleship to learn. And then to do your duty. But you know what? You can't give him anything if he's not your Savior. You can't give him a spiritual gift of value until he's first your Savior. Romans Chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's final complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen. In hell there is no hope. There's no ceasing to exist. There is no escape. Once you're there, you are there forever. One second into hell is too late. To repent. It's too late to change. It is too late. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. In hell. It's forever. Forever. And forever. And forever. It never ceases. Tormented day and night forever. Yet we know by the rich man in hell. There were desires for water, the desires for food, but those desires can never be satisfied, never helped. God places that spirit of that man that died to go to hell into a body that will fill everything this human body feels now, but won't be able to pass away even in fire. In hell, I've heard people say it, and I, Again, you've heard me say this many times. People say, well, I know some people at your church. If they're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. People always like to compare themselves with hypocrites. But you're not compared to a hypocrite. You're not compared to the best Christian in the church. Romans 3.23 says, For the, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. You're measured by him. If you don't don't fit up to that measure, that's the measure into heaven. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. So if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be in Christ. In Christ. To go to heaven, you must be in Christ. And then you are accepted, as Ephesians says, in the beloved. Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, just like we are, Christ died for us. And my friend, I don't care what you've done in your lifetime. Christ died for you and he wants to save your soul. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be wise or foolish. So what do you mean? Well, the Bible talks in Matthew chapter 25 about wise virgins and foolish virgins. The foolish did not take care of the business. And they got caught unaware. They were left behind. One day the Lord's going to come and catch up every believer in Christ to be with him. Don't get left behind. We don't know the day or the hour, but I believe it's soon. Don't wait, don't wait. Let's bow our heads, please.